Nations are in an uproar. Kingdoms fall. God lifts his voice and the earth melts. Come and see what the Lord has done. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in all the earth. I will be exalted among all nations. Let's pray. Father, it's pretty clear what you're doing these days. All the idols of the world are falling. Many of those idols were in our hands. And only Christ is standing. We appreciate him more than ever. Someone who can endure the onslaught of virus and economic collapse and still stand so mightily and beautifully. We need you standing right now, Jesus. We need your voice in due time to make wars to cease, to stop the frenzy and the anger of nature and the nations. We need you to stand because we can't. We're on our knees, not by choice, really, but our legs are weak. Our hearts are faint. So we thank you, God, that we can gather today in honor of the Lord Jesus Christ and in honor of all those who have been laid low by this calamity. I pray, God, that somehow our gathering, our praying, our singing, our preaching would reverberate from this empty building through the miracle of technology to computers and televisions and Lord the hopeless would hear the hope of eternal love and truth in Jesus Christ and they would turn to him and be saved Lord save us all we need saving we need a savior Come save us today. We've never been more attentive. Come save us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. After I spoke last Sunday morning, a, a friend of mine who doesn't come here asked, what did I speak on? And I said, Psalm 46. And he said, well, that's my favorite psalm in all of the Bible. I said, why? He said, because my dad made me memorize it. And there was a reason his dad memorized it, because his mother made him memorize it, because he was among the first troops to land in Normandy in World War II. And his mother said, you're going to take Psalm 46 on the beaches of France in case anything happens. Lisa and I are getting new flooring right now, and we decided to write all over the old flooring before the new flooring is laid, verses that mean a lot to us. So last night I wrote Psalm 46 all over our old floor, and it will be covered sometime next week. So that's what I preached on Psalm 46 uh, the, last week, but there was so much there I wanted to go back to it. So I guess the first thing I'd, say, I'd like to say is, are, are there anybody who has any questions from last week? Okay, I, I see no hands, so we're going to proceed. Last week, we sort of summarized Psalm 46 with three principles. God is present in the crisis. Walk with him. 
God is powerful over the crisis. Wait for him. Today, God has a purpose for the crisis. Worship him. Truly, if you weren't here last week, a little bit of review. God is present in the crisis. This is how the writer describes what was going on. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. So the writer is describing the unimaginable. He's imagining the unimaginable. He's imagining a scene when everything that was once certain is now uncertain. Mountains going into the ocean and oceans that once brought us calm and peace. And we love vacation time. Now those, mount- those oceans are frightening to us. Everything is frightening to us that once brought us calm. And it's like he paints this picture that beside us on this ocean, ocean, the beach, as we're watching mountains fall and oceans roar, it's like all of the nations are standing to our right and to our left. Nations are in an uproar. Kingdoms fall. So it's not just an American thing. It's a worldwide thing. Everybody around us is standing with us on the shore watching the world fall Apart within a matter of weeks, COVID 19 has created this scenario for all of the world. Who would have imagined that both in poor countries and rich countries, underdeveloped countries and developed countries, rich and poor, a germ, a microbe would enter into our world, and all scientists and doctors say, Globally, we don't know how to stop this. Who would have ever thought that the smartest of the intelligent would say, we don't know what to do. And yet in the midst of all this calamity, the writer says, we will not fear. And then he gives three reasons that, three things about God that cause him to not fear. Why? God can be trusted. The first, he said, God is a refuge. This would be a reference to the cities of refuge in the Old Testament. If you were accused of a crime, not yet gone to jail, but somebody wanted to kill you prematurely, you could flee to the city of refuge. God says, I'm a city of refuge. Flee to me. I'm the safest place you can be as the center of my will. Then God says, I am, or the writer says, I won't. I won't be afraid because God's refuge. I won't be afraid because God is a strength. So he looks at all the powerful things that are happening, mountains falling, oceans roaring, and he says, God is stronger than mountains falling and oceans roaring and viruses spreading. Then the third reason that he's comforted is I'm not going to fear God's refuge, God's strength, and God is a help. Like he's, he's here for me, and he doesn't just call God a help. He calls him an ever-present help in times of pandemic. Sort of like Jesus Christ promised in the book of Hebrews, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Whatever you're going through, whatever your crisis that you're bringing today, it may not, your biggest crisis may not be this, honestly. There are people that I know have experienced crisis in the past year. This is still mild compared to the pain in their hearts. So whatever your crisis is, 
The reason we love the ministry of Jesus Christ is He has come to be with us. So whatever you're going through, it's not because God is against you. It's not because God has forsaken you. It's not because your, your sin, your weakness has caused God to work against you. He promised the believer, I will never work against you. I might discipline you. I might do something hard in your life to grow you. But I am for you and I am with you. And we, we've seen this third week in a row that I've been led to bring this up, the last words to Jesus' disciples. I am with you until the end of time. This past week, I was reading about the death of John Wesley, the great Methodist preacher. Um, traveled a quarter of a million miles on horseback preaching the gospel. So many things in his life didn't go right. He was hated by so many communities where he preached. He was often having things thrown at him. But he preached thousands and thousands of sermons. Even the stress of ministry uh, negatively affected his marriage. And yet, on his deathbed, when he could hardly speak any thing else the last words that Wesley cried out after a lifetime of serving God the best of all God is with us so this was the writer saying I will not fear because God is with me in the crisis so if God is that was my point number one God is present in the crisis and therefore, walk with him. So here's, here's what some of you need to do in this crisis. You still haven't done it. God's present. Walk with him. What does that mean application-wise? You need right now, today, to talk to him. You talk to everybody else, read the news. <laughs> I, I saw something this week. A doctor, somebody asked a doctor, what's the advice? Uh, wash your hands, don't touch your face, and turn off the news. <laughs> But really, the biggest thing you do is talk to Jesus. And I believe if you're not talking to him out loud, you're probably not talking to him. Get those words out. Your fears, disappointment with it. Talk to Jesus. God is present in the crisis. Walk with him and therefore talk to him. Number two, God is, that was number one. God is present in the crisis. Walk with him. Number two, God is powerful over the crisis. Wait for him. And we saw this a little bit last week. Nations are in an uproar. Kingdoms fall. Godless his voice. And the earth melts. The problem with a crisis is when you're in the middle of it, it feels permanent. That's, that's why a crisis hurts so much. The, feel like the wound is so deep and the damage is so widespread, you feel like you want to say this. Whatever I'm feeling today, I'm going to feel every day. That's not true. You're in pain today, but it's not going to be hopeless forever because one day at a certain time, and we don't know what the time is, God is going to speak. We're going to cure the virus. Businesses will start to recover. People will start to heal. We don't know that time, but all of it is dependent on when God speaks and when he does. I mean, we go to a new normal. Can't say we go back to normal. That's not happening. <laughs> we go to a new normal. Everything is going to be different. But that new normal will contain vast amounts of the joy of God. Your new normal is going to be met with divine joy. And it will happen when God speaks. So God has power over the crisis. Therefore, 
wait for him. And this all leads to our third point where we couldn't get to last week, and that is God has purpose for the crisis, and therefore worship him. We ended last week with the greatest verse in Psalm 46, one of the most well-known. Uh, God says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, and I will be exalted in the earth. So last week, we only looked at the first part, be still and know that I am God. Today, we're going to build on all that to look at the last part, and that is the exaltation of God through pandemic. So when God says stop, when God says be still, it's a real loving scream from heaven. Stop. Stop. Stop your frenzy. Stop. And reconsider your life in light of God. Stop. And he's making us do that right now. We don't do it well on our own, so God is saying you will stop. And when you stop, that's what you do. You stop and admit. You stop and say, you get your bearings right again. Say, okay, I'm not in control. Control is an illusion. I just thought I was in control. So I'm not in control. God is in control. That's the first thing you do when you stop. God, I'm not in control of this. You are in control of everything. Listen, you walk every day on a path that God has He's cut down all the trees for you. You walk on this path. You don't even know why you're on this path laid out for you by God, who you marry, where you work, where you live. It's, and look what God is. You're on this path, and there's a gentle rain of blessings on this path that you've been walking on for years. Your job, promotions, salary, your family, your house, all these things on this path. You just walk in gentle rain of the favor of God, and you've never stopped to consider him. It's all of him. So God says, stop. Stop and think about this path you're on. It's it's my path for you. But you've been too busy to think. Be still does not mean that you, you, you stop life, you do nothing, and you join a monastery. It's not what be still means. It really is it's a reference to stop the the frenzy, and to say, God, I, I've, never, I've never thought about my need for you, but I now tell you I need you. Stop. Stop. And just say, I need a Savior. I need God to take care of me. Now, I want to apply this today in a personal sense and then in a corporate sense. So personally, what does it mean to stop this crazy life and say, I need God? A Facebook post this week from a friend of mine in Texas really helped me understand what some people need to say when they stop. I met this guy in my first church in the late 1980s in my little rural church in Georgia. And from time to time, he posts some really cool things on Facebook where his name is. Hello, Bob, if you're watching. And I haven't seen him in years, but always follow him on, on Facebook. And so th- he posted something this week on how God was... In his life working, causing him to stop. It happened to be based on Galatians 2.20. I died to the law that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. 
but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And this was, based upon this, this is what he wrote on Facebook this week, and somebody needs to write in their heart these words. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God. It didn't work. So I quit being a lawman so that I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I've been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. I'm no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me on the cross. We need to stop trying to impress God and start living for Him. Anything that we accomplish is not done by us. It's done by the Holy Spirit through us. God doesn't want us focused on following rules because our minds are occupied by that instead of making ourselves available for the moving and the leading of the Holy Spirit. So before I move on, I want to say, has all of this happened in your life that you would just stop and say, I've I've always viewed Christianity and... as religion and rules and I got to go to church and I got to I got to do these things every day and I I'm always worried about how others in the, if I go to church how what are they going to think and I want you to just I, I Psalm 46:10 stop stop and come to Christ and let him lead you let him love you and stop loving rules over Christ stop loving the reputation your reputation over Christ stop Maybe that's what God has done in this crisis. You could hear this quote from my friend and you also could come to Christ. So now having applied that personally, I want to apply this. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I'm God. I want to apply it corporately, nationally, and globally. Psalm And you really can't understand Psalm 46.10. It's global ramifications until you look at the neighborhood in which it lives. It's got little friends, next door neighbors, and these are very important to understand. It's a global call to stop. Personal is fine. I've done it all my life. Stop, Richard. No, stop world is how Psalm 46.10 is really written. This leading up to verse 10. Nations are in an uproar. Kingdoms fall. God lifts his voice. The earth melts. Come and see what the Lord has done. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, now this is interesting when you get to this point in Psalm 46. Up till now, it's been all third person. Somebody talking about God. And God says, I got a word to say here. And it goes from third person to first. God starts talking. And so God says, hey, world that's fighting and frenzied and thinking it's all sophisticated and smart. Hey, world, nations, stop and know that I am God. That's really the intent of Psalm 46. God says to the world, stop your fighting. Stop your lying. 
Stop your illegal stock trades. Stop your corruption. Stop your killing. Stop your evil. Stop. And know once and for all that I am God. If you would have been there when God spoke it, and he was going to use sort of our vernacular, he would have said, wake up, world, and snap out of it. I'm God. You give account to me one day. It's really what Psalm 46 is all about. There's only one God. I'm he. I control everything. I control your life. I control your breath. I control your soul. I control your eternity. Stop. Stop. A friend of mine, Dr. Susan Booth, who teaches Old Testament at, uh, at a seminary in, uh, in Canada, posted a very good blog this week about the coronavirus. This is just a little bit of it, but it's Dr. Susan Booth. I think if you put her name in Facebook, you'd see the same blog that I came across. You may have to befriend her, but this is a portion of it. The coronavirus has also knocked out from under us the props we tend to lean on. Government, industry, education, and science. A bull market and a strong economy. Overnight, these seemingly sturdy buttresses are collapsing all around us. Our functional idols have been unmasked as fakes. And our functional saviors have proven to be illusions. We have awarded our highest affections to unworthy substitutes. That's God's message in Psalm 46.10. Stop doing that. So the purpose of this crisis is to bring focus to the life of every man, woman, child in the world that has placed their trust in false gods and false religion and false hope. So God says in Psalm 46.10, You can ignore me for a day, you can ignore me for 10,000 days, but there will be a day where I will be exalted among all the world and nobody can ignore me. I will be exalted. It's like there's a, a mighty combination of wind and fire that's come through the forest and leveled every tree but there's one mighty oak still standing in that forest and it's God and that's what he says is going to happen in in the earth he and he alone will be standing when all else falls so stop trusting in all the other gods and realize that he is the perfectly glorious love wising beautiful only saving God, when I read Psalm 46.10, I immediately go to the New Testament of where God said he will be exalted in the end. That great chapter, Philippians 2, speaking of Jesus Christ, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him. Same, Isaiah 46.10. That the name of Jesus, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on the earth, and look at that, and even under the earth, all the powers, the evil powers below the earth. And every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to what? To the exaltation of God, exactly what he said in, in Isaiah 46.10. He 
through Jesus Christ will be exalted and in the end of history, Christ alone will be the king. And he's the only one who can save. He's the only one who can bring life and he's the only one that will outlast all viruses, all wars, all dictatorships. So seek him and live. I read an article by Brian Tabb, a professor at Bethlehem College this week. He said, pandemics, disease, have a tendency to destroy idols. God is God, everything else is an idol. And he listed three idols that disease destroys. First, it destroys the idol of security. I guarantee everyone who's listening to me today, I bet you have a password on your computer. Why? Because you're afraid. Somebody breaking in, you want security. Yes, you have a password on your bank account. Because you want security. It's one of the deepest needs of, of, of the human psyche is a sense of security. We long for it. It's why we lock our doors at night. I want to feel secure. It's why we feel, build elaborate firewalls around these massive computers that run all of industry. But it's interesting, despite all of these passwords and locked doors and firewalls, this coronavirus has gotten through them all. And it's taken away our security because our security was an idol. And therefore, it must come down. Second thing that disease does is it destroys the, the idol of prosperity. We live in America, so we talk in terms of the American dream. Become anything you want, really, in America. But it's not just an American dream, it's a global dream. Everybody wants an increase in their socioeconomic status. And that's obviously a proper motivation. You want to see if you can earn some money and help your family more. But here, in the West especially, making more money has become sacred. It's no longer a good ambition, it was a sacred passion. Money has become sacred to us, parallel to the divine. And therefore, when the global markets begin to tumble and businesses begin to close and the economy begin to collapse, the idol of prosperity begin to fall. The third thing the crisis does, it destroys the idol of wellness. Very interesting. Didn't really think about this before, but the, but the Global um, Wellness Institute defines wellness as a sense of well-being. And it's a sense of well-being is made up of things that I can do activities I like doing. I get to go where I want to go and do what I want to do. And in 2017, the global wellness industry brought in $4.2 trillion. I mean, that's things like beauty products, nutrition, diet, uh, gyms, spas, tourism. Things we love. And now the coronavirus has come in and has destroyed the idol of wellness because there's not many people listening today say, I really feel well today. The idol of wellness is gone. So before our eyes, we're seeing Psalm 46.10 fulfilled. God is being exalted. Everything else laid low. Philippians 2, we're seeing Christ exalted and every name is admitting that they're helpless compared to the power of Jesus Christ. So, I think our 
closing question today is, since Psalm 46.10 says God is going to be exalted, Philippians 2 says Jesus Christ is going to be exalted, then the purpose of my life is the exaltation of God. And that certainly is made clear to us in the scripture when God says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Probably a verse you didn't think of last week or two weeks ago when you were eating and checking on your stocks and all that. Now everything, I realize I haven't honored God in everything. I hadn't thought about it. I don't think about God in many things. I just go spend my money. But now... I realize it's a privilege to spend money. It's a privilege to eat. And now I'm going to do all things to honor God. So I'd like to close the message today with a few ways to exalt God in the middle of the coronavirus. So practical steps of how can I exalt God in the middle of this pandemic. Number one, exalt Christ in your response to God. I know exactly what the purpose is for many people, listen, that are watching right now. God is inviting you to have a relationship with Him today. Believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, rose from the dead and has ascended to the right hand of God, that He's the Lord and nobody else is, and today you can give your life to Him. I want to lead you in a prayer. If you would like to respond to this pandemic by giving your heart to Christ, would you pray with me? Jesus, every one of my idols has fallen. I no longer feel security. I have less money. I don't feel well. I don't even know whether that will result in even physical disruption, medical problems. But I know eventually I'll die, and I'll face the living God who's built this path for me that I'm walking on my life, and I've never told him thanks, and I want to thank him now. And I've never asked forgiveness for all the times I've ignored him or rebelled against him. I want to confess that right now. I'm sorry, God, for not including you in every thought of my life. Jesus, I believe you died on a cross And I believe you were God. You're the only one who could tell an ocean to be still, and it became still. You have power, Jesus, and you have love. You have the ability to forgive through your blood. I place my hands, or I place myself in your hands, Jesus. I want to be saved. Come into my life. Come into my life and save me. In Christ's name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, Jesus saved you. He's in your life, and now you'll know how to walk on the path with him, and we want to help you through broadcast for the next few weeks and then eventually gathering with us as a church, how to walk and honor Christ through a daily walk. Exalt Christ in your, in your praying. Oh, my, so many things to pray about right now. This is the most unusual time. Listen to this. Don't miss this. This is the most unusual time in the history of the world. Don't miss this. This is a time when we should be praying galore. Don't waste your virus. People are open to Christ. People are going to the internet and trying to find websites that talk about eternity and spiritual realities as never before. 
It was a privilege to have brothers and sisters from New Delhi, India last week writing in. Thank you for that. And these are preachers that are going to go tell their people what they're learning from this, these days. So pray for people to be saved. Pray that the church would experience revival. There are so many people who used to go to church that no longer go to church. They've stopped glorifying God and they just got used to not glorifying God. But now everything, their idols have fallen. Pray they'll come back. We want them to worship with us and to learn and grow with us, to fall with us, to rise up with us, to enjoy God with us. Pray they'll come back to the church. Pray for people for the first time in their life who've lived full of fear, will no longer live full of fear. What a joy it is to be liberated from fear. God wants you liberated from fear. It only comes through crisis, though. You can do this. You can learn a new way of loving God. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. He can teach you that. So pray for people to experience that. Pray for health professionals. There are people, everybody in the hospital right now that's treating anything right now, they walk into the hospital at risk of life. They're risking their health. Pray for them. Pray for those who are sick right now with this virus. Whether it's full-blown, early diagnosis, or they may be dying. Or it looks like they are. Pray for some miracles. They've come back to life with no explanation other than the kindness of God. Pray for a cure. If you study epidemiology, you'll discover that many of the great cures in history have occurred by accident. Scientists were at their wits' end. They tried this, they tried this, and all of a sudden, this is what you call in philosophy the the divine aha. Why you all of a sudden think of something you never thought of before. That is God. Pray for aha to come to scientists. He's the only one who can cure this. Why would you not be praying for a cure? Pray that there would be an aha moment given to a scientist. And then pray for society. Enough people lose their jobs, society becomes restless. Only God's holding this thing together right now called culture and society. Only God. The Bible says in the end of times there will be a, we don't really understand everything, but there's a moment when God will remove his protection from the world. It talks about that in, in the first and second Thessalonians. Pray for mercy. God would be the glue. God would remain favored to keep us together. Why would you not pray for that? The world's made up of crazy people. Mean, evil people. God, put your hand and stay them. Don't let them go outside the borders of their longings, passions. Pray with your kids. Look, they're all freaked out. They're scared. I don't know if they're scared. They're mad. They don't get to do things they used to do. They said, what an opportunity to pray with them and to pray, to pray God's sovereignty with them. Pray God's Thank Him for the blessings these, they do have. Pray with them. God, thank you for extra chocolate chip cookies these days. Pray with your children. You're the adult. Act like it. Lead. 
Exalt Christ in your giving. Dan said a minute ago a number of ways to give. You can go back to that portion of the website if you, you missed all of that. But listen, <laughs> there's a command throughout Scripture. Hey, go to the ends of the earth. My gospel is to reach all nations. That doesn't stop. I mean, it's not like, oh, virus has come. No more missions. Man, you got missionaries all over the world. Some are having to come home. Some are having to hunker down, move to other countries. There's more expenses now for the global calls of the advancement of Christ. This is not the time to look at your life and say, I think I'll stop giving. I think I'll stop obeying. And remember, you're not giving to, I'm not asking give to a church. You're giving to Christ. You're giving in honor of Christ. In honor of the path that he's laid out for you. In honor of the blood that he shed for you to so that path can lead to heaven. You're giving to Christ and the advancement of his name among the nations. Exalt Christ in your witnessing. I love this. You hear what's happening in China? This is glorious. If you go to China, a few years ago, our family was there and the specific city we were in, there's between 30 and 40 million people and Everywhere you went, there were huge, so many numerous cameras. There were like 50,000 cameras in this city. Everywhere you went, you were on camera. And it's facial recognition cameras. They, can, they, they did a test this past year of somebody was on a camera and how quickly they could find somebody lost trying to disappear in a city of 30 million. They found him in eight minutes. So believers are frightened to share Christ in India because of their facial recognition. But now they're all wearing masks. And they can't be seen and they're witnessing more than ever. And the medical professionals that are treating them are coming to Christ. We should be witnessing. Man, you're on Facebook all the time. Say something about Jesus. Say something about Jesus somewhere. Friends, co-workers, you got such a, an unbelievable time to witness. I was reading this past week of the 1866 cholera epidemic in London and Charles Spurgeon. Man, he was so busy going from house to house with those who were dying, but he also told his congregation and his pastors that he taught in his, in his pastor's college, this is what he said. You know of him who died to save. Tell them of him. Lift high the cross before their eyes. Tell them that God became man, that man might be lifted to God. Tell them of Calvary and its groans and cries and its sweat of blood. Tell them of Jesus hanging on the cross to save sinners. Tell them there is life for a look at the crucified life. Tell them that he is able to save completely all those who come to him. Tell them that he is able to save even at the 11th hour, the last minute, and to say to the dying thief, today you will be with me in paradise. And lastly, exalt Christ in your attitude. Exalt Christ in your attitude. Philippians 2 says, do everything without grumbling, complaining. There are some people who are really suffering now. And we said last week, we say again this week, we grieve for them on ventilators or they're gone. Their families are grieving. 
There are people who are really suffering. They've lost their jobs, their loved ones, or they're fighting for their life. But most of us, listen to this, most of us, hardship means staying at home for a few weeks. So, back to Isaiah 46, 10, stop (laughs) complaining. Maybe, we'll, maybe there will be more sacrifices that are asked of us, but so far, not many really, is it? Not many. Maybe a little shortage for some reason of toilet paper. I've got a roll at the house I'll sell for $1,000. But we really aren't making many sacrifices. It's not like the black plague of Europe that took the lives of one-third of the continent. And I heard this week that the administration has said we're declaring war on this virus, and that, which I think was a great idea. Treat it like war. But this is not World War II in the sense of what it cost us. World War II, let me just tell you what was happening in World War II. Rationing. The government said you cannot use more than this amount of gasoline, butter, sugar, Women went to work in factories and munition plants. Children would help picking up on scrap metal drives so we could build tanks, airplanes. But most of all, what we sacrificed in World War II were our sons and daughters. 405,000 Americans died in World War II. Worldwide, the sacrifice of fighting that war between 60 and 75 million people died. So, if the biggest sacrifice you're asked to make is stay home and sit on the couch, then do it. We owe it to them and to the healthcare personnel on the front lines of this new battle. I saw a group of college students at Myrtle Beach this past week on spring break all over each other with games and drinking. And, and I did. I thought about the greatest generation, veterans of World War II. 405,000 people died so they could go to the beach someday. And all we needed to do is not go to the beach that day. Beach, war. But I can't make that sacrifice. Because not going to the beach feels like I'm going to World War II. So God wants us to have a new attitude. Let me close with this. For those of you who are trapped at home on your couch and are asking this question, I got all this off the web to it, I just loved it. What about the things I plan to get done right now? We're not going to get anything done. This is God's answer. You know how you keep spinning your wheels in life? I've given you permission to stop. I've cleared your calendars. Your worth is not tied to your busyness. All you got to do is take care of each other. You're always so busy. Crying out. You're always saying, I'm so busy. I'm so tired. Is it? You say that all the time. I'm so busy. I'm so tired. He's giving you rest. Overscheduled lives, 
He's given us a break. So pray with your families during this time. Read the Word of God. You're too busy in the morning getting a job to read the Bible. Read the Bible. Get to know God. Help your kids know God. Read the Bible to them. Listen, this break in life will never come again. It is a severe mercy, as Susan Booth tells us. So rest, as Jesus says. Come to me, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, all you who are weary and burdened, and I am giving you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Let's pray. Father, we gather together those who are suffering and whose suffering will increase and we grieve for them. We wish we could stand beside them. That's not been permitted to us yet. But we want to serve them. All we know how to do is to pray for them now. To thank you for your mercy that it's not us today, not our children. Maybe not our mom and dad. But God, for the world, we beg you, stop the world. Calls the world to see only one God, high and lifted up, like a mighty oak in a forest of burnt and fallen pines. Jesus Christ, lifted high on the cross, lifted high above the tomb, ascended to heaven to the right hand of God, the only Savior. May the world see Christ and run to him and flee to him as everything else is fleeing from them. God, we pray for healthcare professionals. Spare their life. Give them supernatural ability and strength to endure long hours. God, we pray for a cure. But only in your time, Lord, only when your people, only when your people turn from their sin and from their self-reliance and cry out to you, Lord, bring us to that point. Bring a praying church into existence so we can give you the glory when it's over and say you listened to our prayer and you heard our prayer. Oh, God, pour out the Holy Spirit upon the nations, upon those who are trying to witness and increase our witness. And may the lost here prepare their hearts for the name of Jesus. And it is in his name I pray. Amen.